When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to the Fresh Arsenal podcast with me, JB, and PB as well. PB, hello. I was thinking, should it be no, no, no? Because we lose. <laughs> Our first three pods, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, d- I don't want to have to think I'm about feeling how quite, I start no, no, each no. pod from now on. <laughs> so we'll let people suggest new ideas, but... Yeah. Uh, how how really... do we introduce a loss? Just just tears, just, just sobbing down the, down the line. Yeah. Uh, but but the good news is to cheer everyone up with answers, we, we have two guests with us today. We have Elliot, also known as Yankee Gunner on, on Twitter. Elliot, hello. Hey, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. This well, is our you. second Good attempt friend. at the pod. Um, now Elliot has functioning Wi-Fi. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you missed some great insights in the previous pod, but uh, I'm sure... Let's put it this way. All the stuff that I said that was smart was in the previous one that is not being published. So if you don't like what I say on this podcast, it's because I used up all the good stuff on the one that didn't get published. It, it was, you'll have to take his word for it because we couldn't hear half for it, but, but, <laughs> okay. I, but I believe that. And we're also joined by Carl Carpenter. Carl, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure. Carl is uh, the, the numbers guy on this, on this podcast. He is the videos guy on the internet. Um, and therefore, when you put those two together, you get, in theory, some insights. So no pressure, Carl, but thank you for joining us. Uh, Carl, of course, of Statsbomb, based out in the US, will be moving to the UK soon. Um, he's moving to the West Country, which we have assured him is the party capital of the United Kingdom. And it sounds like he's excited to do so. Uh, welcome aboard, everyone. I think you all know why we're here. This is the scoring goals episode. Arsenal have gone nearly six hours now without scoring from open play in the Premier League and just off the back of a 3-0 defeat to Aston Villa. And I think it's kind of well addressed now. We've, we've had almost two weeks of bombardment with stories and data and infographics about how Arsenal haven't scored. The real question is why? And we want to get into that. We want to get into how we solve it and hopefully just have a really good conversation about the trade-offs and the different, different ideas that might help us address that. So let's get into the detail. Um, Carl, what is kind of at the heart of why Arsenal haven't scored? Basically, every single attacking metric that you can think of, we are poor or average in the league, which for a club like Arsenal, obviously known for attacking play, is completely suboptimal. Uh, every single match so far this season, we're at a basically, since the Arsene Wenger era, we're at an all-time low for expected goals per match, about 1.06. Uh, which is extremely poor. Um, And we're 15th in the league in shots taken, 8.8 per match, which for a team like Arsenal or any top team trying to compete for uh, European uh, places or silverware, you want to be generally around uh, double figures. Um, 15 is usually a good good place. Man City are around 15 shots per game. Um, 
and also our shot distance. Um, sorry, going back to that, um, we actually create good chances on goal. Uh, we are fourth in ex- expected goals per shot, about 0.12. So we're generating shots from good areas. We're just not creating a lot of that. And I think a lot of those processes actually go back to um, how we're positioning players in the attack, um, how we're actually generating those attacks from our build-up play and stuff like that. Excellent. So I guess, Elliot, I know you, you guys have done loads on the on the five lines of attack, on the different systems that Arteta's has attempted or, or the the one system with its different variants from your perspective, what is he trying to do? What is, what is this system look like in an ideal world for Arteta? That's really tricky, right? Because I mean, I, I think the easy answer is to presume that the reason the attack is struggling is because he prioritized solidifying the defense. Um, while the defense is improved structurally, uh, the metrics still aren't great. I think it's worth pointing out that the defensive metrics, there's still some uh, concerns there. I think there's definitely a, a belief, I think, that Arteta has that a way for the attack to work is to start from the back, to build from the back, to draw the opposition onto you, play around them, and then create transition opportunities that way, rather than the way maybe like Liverpool does it, for example, which is pressing high up the pitch, winning it back high up the pitch, and attacking from there. More of our possessions start deeper in our defensive third and fewer of our possessions end in the opposition final third. So I think that tells you a little bit about how we want to build the play. And obviously we all know by this point that what we want to do is overload wide positions and look for crosses and cutbacks into the box. I would say we're doing that with an insufficient number of players there and insufficient quality of players insofar as Lacazette is the one that moves our dying with or intended to succeed with depending on your, your perspective. Um, but I, I don't look, I, I think it's, it's difficult. I, I read a tweet from someone who sort of summed it up for me and I, I can't remember who it was specifically, but he's Arsenal and it looks like it's worked. Like it makes sense. And it looks like we're doing things really um, smart and progressive and interesting. And then you look at the data after the game and you're like, God, they took seven shots and created very little chance and didn't have a lot of threat. And like, I do think that there is a little bit of that, that Arteta built this structure and this system from a chaotic environment, from a footballing standpoint under Emery that added an easiness on the eye to some extent. Players, the distances seemed okay. Players were in positions that made sense. We weren't getting ripped apart on the counter and then having eight guys in the left half space and nobody on the right and it just started to look like it made sense but then you look at what it was producing and the output wasn't there really at both ends but especially obviously in the attacking and I think you referenced the five channels and like it is very clear that we want to attack in sort of this two three five formation where there are five lanes of attack but too often those players are at distances from one another or on plane with one another that makes it hard for those triangles to form and those interactions to form that lead to I think more creative attacking output a lot of it is really from the wings crossed into the box. And, and to some extent, because we do create a lot of cutbacks um, and because we take so many passes to build up and create chances, that when we create chances, the one really positive thing the system does is it tends to produce very high quality chances. So, uh, you know, if you want to go back to the data, our XG per shot, our expected goals per shot is very high. So I think Arteta feels that if we're patient and if we have the ball and if we build from back to front and if we create good high quality chances, we can win close games. But but as Carl already pointed out, and I think as we've all really recognized, we're not creating enough of those opportunities and trying to, you know, just shade every game one nil. um, 
it, it opens you up to variance too much. It, we've created margin by which we can win in games. And you look at the United game and you look at the Villa game, and even though one is a, a terrible loss and one is a, a really fantastic win, they are second cousins to a certain extent. They're, they're related to each other in terms of what we create. The Manchester United game, that one thing goes for us with the Bellerin penalty and we win it 1-0, having created very little, but, you know, looked okay. In the Villa game, those little things go against us and, it, and it's a bad loss. So I, I just think the margins are too fine right now because we create very little pressure on the opposition. Yeah. And it's an interesting one, right? The, the team is on a journey. And I think we all accepted that a year ago that this was a, mm. a rebuild. This was a project. And Arteta took over its team that was giving up 30 shots a game in some situations. And everyone got really excited because, as you said, he closed the distances. And the first thing he did was, was stabilize that defense. And, and maybe not in terms of pure metrics, as, as good as it looks, but you know, there, is a, there is progression there. I guess, Oli, my question to you is, on that spectrum of Arteta still putting out fires and making do with the team he inherited and, and the, the chaos he inherited to you know, Mikel Arteta's dream system and dream squad, where do you think we are on that journey? Do you like, you know, how much of that is him still making do with what, with the players he's got? How much of that is, you know, we just need to be a bit patient. And even with the players we've got, there's still more to come. Where do you think mm. we are on that journey? I think it's definitely, it's definitely partly the players. It's, he's made no secret that he wanted to do a lot more than we managed to get done in the summer. Obviously, the external environment was, wasn't kind to uh, a major rebuild, which is what he would have liked to do. But I think we've got to remember as well that he's such a new manager and he is he's very inexperienced. And it feels like to me, he's still, he still... He speaks a lot and he always says we need to concentrate on ourselves and not the opposition. But I don't know how you guys feel, but it feels to me that he always is considering the opposition a bit too much. Um, in a lot of these games. And the problem is in the Premier League this year, you know, he's looking at every game and seeing two or three major threats at least. And I feel like he's, that's always stopping him taking the handbrake off uh, in an Arsenal term. You know, he's, he's seeing, and everyone's saying, oh, for Leeds, he might restructure and go more attacking, etc. But I think he'll be looking at Leeds and he'll be shitting himself. From what, from what they could do to us. But you look at Leeds' last fixture, Palace took the game to them. One, you know, it was a bit um, flattered Palace a bit, but they managed to win the game convincingly. And I still feel like Arteta just focuses on the opposition's strengths too much. It's an interesting one, right? I think football's become increasingly tactical and, and games are being won by managers who, who figure out ways to just outdo the other team and, and find holes in their system and beat them. Hmm. I think we all had an issue with Emery because, you know, well, under, our, under Wenger, there were, we had the opposite complaint, which was we played the same no matter who we played against and we wanted a tactical yeah. manager to come in and, and, and fix things. Under Emery, he was, you know, he was willing to look at how other teams played. Um, the minor issue is he's a massive coward. And he then set his team up, essentially. I mean, it looked like he was just, spent all week telling the team how good the other the opposition was, how they could hurt us, and then set his team up to counter that. I think when Arteta came, I could see elements of, of, of the opposition research, right? But my general read on his game was have, have core principles and tweak your team so that you're in a position to exploit the opposition's weaknesses. And I think that is 
to an extent what we've seen, I think it's definitely something Pep did, right? You can see Pep's teams will often just try a really weird thing you haven't seen them do before um, uh, that just gets through some teams they play against. And I think that was how Arteta was 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 trying to play. Um and maybe you could argue it's gone the other way a bit recently, but I don't. I don't think it's cowardly. I think he's trying to get that balance between, you know, having your core principles, but just shifting your shape slightly, changing your personnel a bit, and and maybe when it doesn't work out, it doesn't look great. And maybe when it works, it looks. It, you know, the United game, you could say it was a cowardly approach to to focus on shape and structure, or you could say it was a smart approach to figure out they weren't great on the ball and we were going to press them really high. So. Mm. It's it's a tough one. Um, yeah, I think I'll go the back. pragmatism. Sorry to cut you off, but I think the pragmatism compa- comparison between Arteta and Emery is Arteta's pragmatism is due to the perceived his own perceived uh, faults within our own system, whereas Emery's pragmatism is is concerned about the opposition's strengths. Mm. So it's Arteta's Arteta's uh, inability to sort of shift the team and uh, adjust. Um, over the last couple of weeks and um, months that we've had issues is due to the fact that I think the perceived issues that he sees within our own system and especially with um, the the way he's actually built the team to be defensively strong first, I think mm. that sort of reflects that sort of that disconnect between our attacking play and our defensive uh, improvements. It's interesting, right? I think uh, I, one of the one of the pods it was either Arsenal Vision or Ars Blog. Please do not judge me, Elliot. Was was saying? I mean, that, being that, compared to Ars Blog is you know going to be just fine with me. So that I mean, it's more I listened to both. Now. I wasn't I wasn't judging making a, a judgment on quality there. But anyway, um, one one of the pods was talking about how Arteta's you know he might be a bit scarred by his experiences at Arsenal and like his association of Arsenal with a team that turns over and gets, expo- you know, gets exploited and, and just falls apart when it, when it shouldn't. I guess for me, there's another side of that, which is if you come from Man City and training them every day for two years, and then you see what we've got in our squad, you might conclude that we're nowhere near where you need to be, right? Um, and that might be accurate, or it might be that we are nowhere near where you need to be to win the league. But actually, you could try and do something similar and still make top four. And it might just be that his his benchmark for top four just might not quite exist because he's everything all the thresholds in his head, everything he's been working towards for the last two years or longer has just been what does title winning look like? So I, I'm intrigued with that. I mean, I guess I guess Elliot from your side, clearly there's a systems versus personnel question here. Um, mm-hmm. If you're Arteta, you know, how do you start making that transition? Do you, do you think that you know? do you stick with this system and say, look, ultimately the, the team will get there? Because look at Leeds, right? Leeds do not have better players than us, but they have a system that works. And they've, that's because Bielsa's drilled it into them and they've just, it wasn't going to change and they've had to learn it. Do you stick with it? Or do you go, right, well, actually these guys can't play how I want them to play at the level I want them to play and we need to tweak. See, I, I sometimes wonder if there's an ad hoc error in the way we evaluate Arteta in deciding that he prioritize defensive solidity because I actually don't know that I believe that entirely. I think he prioritizes structural discipline and positional discipline. It is a very pep thing, right? There's rumors, you know, in pep confidential and stuff that like at Bayern in particular, he'd run training sessions and like draw boxes on the pitch and players weren't allowed out of their little box. Structure that breeds attacking football 
I would say, look, I mean, Arteta is attacking with five lanes of attack. It's not like there's two guys in the opposition half and nine in the defensive half. I just think the structure he's built and the commitment to positional discipline, I think the combination is that they don't yield an attack that is prolific. And I don't think it is because he prioritized defensive solidity. I think there's a few things here. First of all, because he values positional discipline a lot and I think structure, he has chosen players that he believes will better uh, adhere to those principles. So like a William Ope might be a good example. Um, using Tierney as a left center back, that's a player who as a fullback could potentially be more effective overlapping, but he's given this sort of underlapping role. And the same with Hector Bellerin, who's for a long time was more and coming into midfield more. And so the way we're deploying resources structurally, I think just takes away from some of the improvisational capabilities that a player like a Pepe might have or a Saka might have. Aubameyang not being in the center means that when you know, when you look at what your center forward is doing, he's doing what we call the Firmino role, which I think is ridiculous because he's not Firmino and it's not remotely the same. He's dropping deep, but there's no player running in behind him. The distances aren't, you know, when, when Liverpool used Firmino to come deeper, it's the top of the box. It's the D. It's not, the, you know, midfield, right? So he's getting the ball at the D and he's giving it to Salah and Mane on the edge of the box. That's not happening for us. I, I just think that this commitment to structure and, and positional discipline is leading to the attacking players really lacking the ability to create spontaneous interactions and, and some improvisational flexibility that's needed. Now, what I would say ultimately is we all talk about, well, Aubameyang should be central and Pepe should play over Willian. And I also think that, the entire thing has to move up the pitch a little bit. It's all well and good wanting to play back to front when teams will come on to you. It's the smaller teams, that's where we struggle. We have to beat up the bottom half if we want to finish top four. And to do that, I think the whole attack needs to move 10 yards further up. So the center forward isn't on, you know, isn't on the edge of the final third. He's on the edge of the box. And the wide forwards aren't in midfield, but they're in the channels on the edge of the box. And you know, the midfielders are on the edge of the attacking third. Pep's system gets two players. Well, it was two players, you know, be David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, two eights in the center space at the edge of the attack or deeper. We never occupy the center space because our midfielders don't go to that position. The whole thing just has to push up. And the irony is when you look at the Europa League, that's where we are, right? And that's why we love what Willick's doing in the Europa League because where's Willick? He's running past the center forward. Where are the midfielders? They're standing on the edge of the final third. The whole thing needs to push up the pitch. The whole thing needs to compress closer to the box. The players need to have a little more of that improvisational freedom. And, and if he does that, he's going to create risk at the back. But I think it's what's needed against the smaller teams to create the threat, to push them back, to create goals, and hopefully to more routinely pick up three points against those teams. Because you can't go into every game thinking we'll win it 1-0. The, the margins are too fine and too many things are going to go against you. What you said there, Elliot, just on the on the opposition. So you said we're seeing it in the Europa League, right? We're seeing these midfielders be more expressive, getting beyond the, the forwards. Going back to what I said earlier, is it just that he's seeing the like every team in the Premier League as too dangerous mm. to, to do that kind of thing? Because in the Europa League, we are seeing a, we're seeing a similar system, but it's tweaked to exploit these these teams that sit deeper and that are weaker, and it just you know, that you know just highlights I, it to me, I think. I wonder if it's personnel also. Like, I mean, 
look at the players who play the Europa League and maybe they have the mindset of wanting to be further up the pitch, wanting to push the opposition back. Maybe the opposition is sitting a little deeper in the Premier League. Even the small teams now will engage you in midfield, will try to get away from their goal a little more. You don't have a lot of Burnley-style teams that will sit you know, in their own penalty mm. area anymore. Um, but in the Europa League, they will drop deeper. We have midfielders like Willick who want to be further up the pitch. Um, you know, so that may be contributing to it too. Um, but I, I do think you're right. I think that there is an attempt to balance security with attack. But ultimately, again, we're, we're, we're five lanes, right? Five when we, when we build into the attack. So he's willing to deploy the resources forward. I just don't think the, the rest of the team is, is pushing up enough. I, I, I said this before, but under Arsene Wenger, when it wasn't working, the hor- there was horseshoe passing, right? But the horseshoe passing was on the edge of the final third uh, or the edge of the box. Now the horseshoe passing is in central midfield. Everything's just moved back 10, 15 yards. And I mm. think that's, you know, again, you look at the metrics. Are, we have near the, I think we're like third worst in the league in terms of possessions that end in the opposition final third you see what i'm saying so like our possessions are ending further away from their goal we're just not getting up the pitch enough so i'm gonna make three points and then and then hand over to the man who who is the expert on moving teams up the pitch so carl get ready (laughs) so i guess my first point is 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 on pep right and and it's interesting you compare pep to arteta because pep's system is as structured as rigid um but it exists to get his team into the final third then when they're there that's when the fun stuff happens and I think what we're missing is whether it's, it's, it's the personnel, whether it's the uh, kind of patience or whatever it is, that once we're in the final third, we don't have that progression, right? Um, and I think, you know, part of that is, is Pep's system. And, and a lot of these positional play systems rely on 1v1 wingers. You need wingers who can isolate their fullback, go at them, exploit them. You can shift the team to one side of the pitch and switch it. Um, and I don't know, you know, there's a question on personnel there, right? So William over Pepe. Well, actually, if you look at William throughout his career, he's done well in teams with Pepe's, right? He's been the foil to Hazard. He's been the foil to Pulisic. He's been the foil to Neymar. He's worked well like that. Um, and maybe William left Pepe right gives you the balance you want. I don't know. So that, there's a thought there. There's a thought on technical security where I think when you're playing out from the back and your, your centre-backs are on your own goal line, to progress into the other half and into the final third and actually move your midfielders up. And, and Carla, it'd be great to get your thoughts on this. But you're basically asking your midfield to move from the edge of your box to the edge of the opposition box. And the ball moves a lot faster than that. Especially if you're playing into the channels, what you need is that technical security somewhere in the front three or just behind them so that you can move your entire team up the pitch without losing the ball. And it's the second, third, fourth phase that you then build. That's when the combinations happen. That's when you score the goals. And I guess, finally, the one encouraging thing I would say is when you look at the signings we've made, ignore William, but Gabriel Partey, that they appear to start, they appear to reveal a bit of a plan for a team that does want to play higher up the pitch, does want to play with its back four on the halfway line, uh, does want to be able to you know, cover the counter, not get done over the top. So I don't know how long it will take to get there. That's encouraging. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a bit of a mishmash at the moment in my head between I still can't really unpick if it's the system just needs more time, if the players will never get it, if we're not quite using the right people in the right roles, or if 
you know, this is just a longer rebuild or a longer journey than we think it should be. Um, and we just need to sit in here. Carl, moving people up the pitch, mm-hmm. please, please tell us all how it should be done. I think that I'm not asking for Arteta to actually abandon his principles in terms of build-up play because I think when it works, we, we, we've seen like the, all the uh, iconic Arteta-era goals under Arsenal have been starting from our goal. You think of the, the FA Cup final um, or semi-final, I believe, against uh, City. You think of the, the goal against Fulham earlier this season. They're all similar types of goals, building from the back, luring opposition players to press us and then hitting them in space. Uh, in behind but if you look at teams like uh, I hate to hark back to uh, City but they actually show some variance in how they build up play they have the ability with their goalkeeper Edison to hit those long diagonal passes they have the ability to play short they have the ability to do a classic you know bunch and, and kick the ball long and I think that one of the reasons why they're so effective is that is because Unlike us, we only we I think we've only ever taken goal kicks this season inside our own penalty area, and that makes it very easy for the opposition to know how to game plan against us and to actually prevent us from getting our players off the pitch. If we showed more variation in terms of how we did that, we would be more successful in moving that midfield block up and being able to connect with our players. And also, I think that um, as well you actually need players to be able to hold up the ball in those sort of scenarios. So players have time to get up the pitch. Um, Lacazette, when we first brought him in, I think was actually excellent in terms of linking up play and building up, but now he is uh, horrible, absolutely horrendous at actually linking up play and connecting players underneath him. And the signings we've made in those actual regards should help us. I mean, you mentioned Gabriel, even William, um, Thomas Partey, those types of players are ones who are able to, to actually secure possession and build up play comfortably. Um, so if Arteta was not to abandon his principles, but show an increased flexibility in terms of that regard. Um, and I think a lot of that actually um, inability to be flexible is actually down to his uh, connection with Guardiola. Cause we know Guardiola can actually be incredibly dogmatic Um but not as dogmatic as Arteta has been and actually how we build up play and how we create chances. Um, so that decreased flexibility in terms of how we build up is also the reason why we are so uh, stale in the final third. I think it's spot on. I think variance is, is the word we've talked a lot about. Do we need to abandon this system? Not necessarily, you know, the, the, the four and a half at the back, as we call it, lends itself to be, you know, four variety it can be a four it can be a five you can have three through the middle you can have three on the left whatever and a lot of us have said you know with the old Bamiang struggles of late it, and I, I've been one of the first people to say it as well but we've all said it's not built round or Bamiang enough you know we need to get the best out of Bamiang with how he currently is but stepping back is it built and Carl you might, you might be able to um, add some context to this, but are we almost built too much around Aubameyang in that it's all, a lot of our stuff comes down the left-hand side. And, you know, once that was found out, there were so many good goals that came through it last year. Mm-hmm. Once teams have found that out and they're overloading us there, does that counsel, you know, one of our only threats? I think it does, certainly. But 
you also have to see is that it's not like we are incapable of building down a right. Bellerin has been terrific this season and actually uh, getting into the penalty area, or not getting into the penalty area, getting to the final third and creating chances. But also I think that the players we're actually selecting, it's obviously, you know, Aubameyang on the left is suboptimal. But playing players like Pepe, who can create chaos himself, and actually, um, I think I think uh, JB mentioned earlier is you, you want to put players in positions that the opposition don't like to defend against. We actually are um, some of the lowest teams, or one of the lowest teams this league. We're 18th in the league for dribbles completed, and that just makes if dribbles create chaos. And if you're just constantly playing it to players, especially Aubameyang when he's receiving it on the touchline defeat, it doesn't make sense for players to be playing where they are right now. Pepe. You know, you could say his his end product isn't great at the moment, but he is very, very hard to defend because I think half the time when he's dribbling at someone, he doesn't even know where he's going to go. So how can the uh, how can the opposition possibly uh, know where he's to defend? And Aubameyang as well. You know, I mentioned it before. He's he's extremely quick. He has good movement in the penalty area. So having him receiving the ball at a dead stop on the left without any possibilities of, you know, tyranny overlapping because we're playing at left center back. All those sort of combinations just sort of lead to, you know, what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's just such a big thing for me. Um, I understand the value of structure and systems and all the rest, but, you know, when you look at an opposition team, you look to see who can hurt you. You look to see who you need to worry about, who's going to stop you playing your game, who's going to exploit your fullbacks when they go up the pitch. Imagine you're a Villa or a Villa fan watching Arsenal Villa last weekend and you see uh, what was it? you see Lacazette, Willian and Aubameyang as a front three. You'd be really happy, right? Like, okay, Pepe might not be playing and he might not score a hat-trick every game, but you'd be more worried about him running at Matt Target, right? You'd be more worried about Aubameyang through the middle. You'd be more worried about a dribbler on the left, whether it's Saka or Nelson. And I'm not saying we need to do all of it, but there's a, there's a big club bully thing that we're missing out on here, which is just like make life harder for the other teams. I remember when, when Giroud used to be our go-to striker, which was fine because he, he has a function, right? And arguably he'd be quite useful in the current setup. But often when we didn't have pace around him, it was so easy for teams to just stick their defense on, on the halfway line and there was no threat for Arsenal. And I think it's a bit like that now where we just don't have the legs in the team, whether it's, whether it's off the dribble or, or, or into the channel, to worry people. Like, you know, the ball over the top to Lacazette's fine because chances are it will bounce and then he'll, he might be through on goal. And he knows he's not winning a foot race. So he'll turn around and just hold it up for someone or, or William will get through and he'll end up turning around and passing backwards. So I think there's just something to be said for... Um, just looking through that squad and, and just being a bit more aggressive and a bit more provocative when you're looking at it. And yes, it comes back to dribbling. I think, you know, there's probably about five years of history of Arsenal where everything clicked except scoring the goal in the final third and breaking teams down when we would have loved to have a Pepe in our team. And now we have him and we're not getting in the positions where you just get, get him the ball to go again and again and again. And he'll lose the ball four out of five times. But that fifth time, There'll be a shot or a deflection or a penalty or something. So for me, I just want, you know, I want that excitement when I see the team sheet. I want other teams to look at Arsenal and not want to play against us because of the players we put out there. Not, not worry that if they don't build out perfectly, we'll 
you know, we'll, we'll press them and maybe score a cutback. So I, I'm not saying we have to completely abandon the approach we've got, but I think there are trade-offs where, you know, you could, you could press 80, 90% as well and have more of a threat, or you could maybe lose the ball a couple of times extra a game, but also have five more shots. So there are trade-offs that I think we're not currently making that I don't think necessarily compromise the way we want to play. And if you look at every single top team in the world, their front three or their attacking groups, whatever, they all have different profiles. You know, you look at City, they have Mares, who's a dribbler. They have Sterling, who's basically a forward playing out wide. They have, you know, you have Liverpool, you have Firmino, a link player. You have Salah, a dribbler. You have Mane, who's a dribbler as well, but is a little bit of both. I mean, every single top team going back and forth, they're all a variant of type of players, and they can rotate those type of players to suit the opposition and suit what's needed in a game. If you look at us, we have the, the teams we're, we're playing with now, they're all the same type of player. And that makes it so much easier to defend, just to highlight earlier stuff. And, and balance matters, right? So, so look yeah. at Willian as an example, right? Uh, and I think we've seen it all over the pitch. You've seen it in central defensive pairings. You've seen it in midfield pairings. Willian, if you said, what's Willian's dream front three? It would be a big target man to cross to when he beats the fullback just off the, off the half yard. And it would be a pacey dribbler the other side that makes up for his, his inefficiencies or his in, inadequacies. Look at that. Pulisic and Giroud last season, you get his best ever season. Um, Aubameyang, what would you say for him? It would be two creators behind him. When's he been best for Arsenal? Um, I can't even remember who was playing, but, but it's, it's not this season is what I'm trying to say here. Or it's when he's been in a two with Lacazette. Lacazette was best at Lyon almost as a second striker. He's good for France with Griezmann. When's he been best for Arsenal? When you have bodies around him in the box. It's not difficult. But what you're currently doing with all of them is using them with types of players in, and in a system that just, it doesn't suit any of them. Yeah. I, 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 can, see, I can see you nodding. Well, so, I, you know, I, I think also like it, it is at the point now where even if the system was working, the players aren't good. So, so it's, it's hard, right? Because I don't think the system works and I think the players are bad, which is a bad combination. Like I think Lacazette needs to be moved out of that starting role. I think Willian is dusted, like washed and shouldn't be in the team. And so, I mean, it doesn't matter if the system makes sense. If you're playing bad players who are totally washed, like you've got no hope anyway. And I don't think the system works. And I think one of the things that you look at, whether it's the way Liverpool do it or the way, City do it or the way Chelsea do it. These teams that are good at attacking access central spaces in the attacking third. It can't just be wide. City have created a lot of goals through cutbacks, a lot of goals through the channels and the wide spaces, but they get the ball central. They would do it with two number eights. I, I referenced Silva and De Bruyne. Chelsea do it by taking wide players. I mean, they, they would do it with like Mount and Pulisic drifting in from wide spaces into the top of the box and give them access to central spaces there. Liverpool, as we've mentioned, do it with uh, a center forward who drops in not as deep as Lacazette and is better than Lacazette and gives them access there. And any game Arsenal has played at least this season and going back into last season, if you show me a pass map, I can draw a nice clean oval around the central part of the attacking third and there's no touches in there and no passes in there. There's no act. So the whole thing becomes very one-dimensional. And the one dimension is overlaps on the wide spaces, cutbacks into the box. And those cutbacks are to Lacazette, which is a problem to begin with. Um, you know, and, and it's not just that, I, you know, I, the interesting thing is there's an accordion 
sort of dynamic about that, those five lanes of attack. The further we are from goal, it expands, and the players are spread further across the pitch. Where Arteta's system works, when we push the ball up deep into the attacking third, it compresses. And so Aubameyang is not on the wing, he's in the channel, right? And Willian is in the channel, and Lacazette is in the box, and everything is a little closer. And if those central midfielders get closer to that, you do see some of those those triangles on the edge of the box and a little more of that danger. And then you see why Aubameyang's playing wide, because he's coming in off the channel on the backside of the attack where he can really drift in behind defenders and be dangerous. So I, I see how it works when we progress the ball that deep, but we very rarely do. When you go to the Leicester game where Leicester sat, and where was the passing? It was Elneny to party to Shaka to Elneny to Shaka to party out to the wing backs and then back into the center. And it never got up the pitch. And who was our lead creator? It was David Luiz trying to ping balls over the top. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So what's not happening there, right? What's, well, what's the joiner? To, so it's, it, to me, it is an extra midfield. So there's two ways you can do it. One is you can, you can invoke the name Mesut Ozil. You can have a player playing that role, someone who is the devil between the lines, right, who will pop in between the lines, who's not Lacazette. Because even when Lacazette does it, if he drops in, there's no one behind him. So you're getting the ball in central space, and where is it going? It's still going out wide. So I, I would say that it is either a, a, a number 10. I hate to invoke that, that kind of concept. Maybe you want to call it an eight. Someone who gets between the lines. Someone who does what a Jack Grealish does. Uh, someone who provokes. Someone who carries the ball into the attacking third in central spaces and provokes. Madison would be another player who does it. Um, or the alternative is you use players like Pepe and use players like Saka as the wide players and you let them come inside on their stronger foot with Aubameyang in the center running into the box. And that allows you to have a square in midfield between the two, like a party in Elneny or a party in, in Ceballos with Pepe and let's, let's call it Saka creating sort of a square in midfield and you build up in more of a 2-2 instead of this 3-5, but you have access to central spaces. I mean, just do it right now. Go, go to Stat Zone, go to whatever app you use, look at a pass map of Arsenal, draw a little circle or an oval in the middle of the pitch um, you know, in those central zones, zone 14, whatever you want to call it, top of the box, no touches, no passes. If you can't access that space, I think you make it very easy for defenses to understand how to shut you down. So obviously play the better players is always a good policy. But un until we start to unlock some access to those central spaces, I think defenses are going to find us very easy to keep at bay. And the way we have created when we've done it, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll wrap it up here, is when we're able to build from the back, and draw the opposition onto us, then we are able to provoke more of a transition type game, right? We saw that in the run to the cup final. A lot of goals created in transition that started from the back. And those are beautiful goals because there's a lot of tight, um, intricate passing in your own box and it looks threatening and scary and dangerous. And all of a sudden you're, you're on the break and you're scoring really cool goals that way. But those opportunities, as we've seen, are few and far between, especially smaller teams that aren't going to come into your defensive third to provoke you there. So. Yeah, I, I, I think the whole thing has to get pushed for the pitches I mentioned, but you got to access central spaces either with a different player or using better wide players. Oli, I want to come to you just in a sec, get your thoughts on personnel. But I think, Elliot, the, the interesting thing here, right, is for me, mm. you talked about the interdependencies and, and, and clearly there's, there's where Aubameyang starts and there's where Aubameyang should end up. I kind of view it like, I think the best analogy I've got, and please tell me if there's a better one, is like a camera shutter. And you know how like when it closes, that spiral goes and one bit moves and something else takes its place. 
there's something Arteta's trying to coach here. I'm getting different faces. You can't see it because there's no video yet, but I'm getting different faces down the le- down the line. Um, <laughs> but you've got a, you know, I'm nodding. I'm nodding. There's a sense of positional play here, right? Where players are meant to take their position on the pitch based on what the other players are doing. So yes, absolutely. Lacazette mm-hmm. drops in, gives Aubameyang the space to run in. Whether a centre back follows him or not, the attention moves. Aubameyang comes central. Saka pushes up. Saka pushes up, Tierney pushes up. And suddenly you've got this, especially down the left, right? You've got the left. You've got this whole rotation. It's like a spiral where the striker comes deep and everything else just moves up and in. That's what's supposed to happen. It doesn't. To do that, (laughs) it doesn't. And to do that, first of all, you need phases of play, which requires technical security, like players who are not just going to lose the ball. It also requires intelligence. So I guess, Ollie, my question to you is, these are not academy players who can't figure this out, right? This is, these are experienced internationals. I'm not saying it's easy to do on the pitch, but it's conceptually quite easy to understand. You've got Leeds United don't do the exact same thing, but you've got clubs worse than Arsenal have implemented decent positional structures in the past. So do you think these players can get there? Do you think there's a fundamental limit on their ability do you think there are other players in the squad? Like we talked to, you know, you can have players who just do different things. No matter how you coach them, William and Pepe will just play differently because they've got different strengths. So does bringing in Joe Willock solve a lot of that? Does bringing in Nketiah solve a lot of that? Do, do you think the existing squad has the potential to solve some of these problems? Or do you think we're just stuck until we can buy? I think it takes us to a certain level, right? I think it, it can improve us. Um, I wouldn't say Eddie... But <laughs> I think the only reason I'd have Eddie in is because like, is that so bad? But I think we're we're missing if we're not going to play our Birmingham through the middle and restructure things slightly, we we're missing a forward. Um, it was well documented that we were looking for a forward. I just think it was a fact that we didn't shift enough in the summer, which meant we couldn't get there. Um, but I think a, a big problem as well is, you know, we're saying Arteta has been quite stubborn with the system, but. You look at the Leicester game, look how that midfield three set up versus the United game. I was scared about how we were going to use party because in that Leicester game, he was just told to sit and it was almost like, you know, play one pass, don't carry the ball, which is why we all thought he was brought in. And I was really scared that 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 was going to be his job. He was going to be viewed as a defensive midfielder to just mop up. A week later, we saw him at United doing a completely different job. You know, Alneni was doing what Partey was asked to do in Leicester uh, and Partey was given the the freedom to go and do what he does best and he looked incredible, a, a lot better than he did at Leicester. So that's from one week to the next. And then Arteta's got a, a slightly annoying habit of a winning team won't change it at all, even if it's a very different game. And that's what we saw at Aston Villa. So as we said earlier, the players who have come in have been excellent. Gabriel and Partey give us that recovery pace to play higher up the pitch. They give us the ability to beat people, you know, to carry the ball further up the pitch. But the results at the moment are, you know, we'd say the two, we haven't had Partey for enough time to say that he's been one of our best players this season, but give it a couple more games. I think we will be saying that Gabriel was one player of the month every month, I think since he's, since he started. So we've got, we're saying all the new signings are brilliant, but the results 
and the data as we're chatting about hasn't really progressed this season so what that's telling you is you know we're bringing in new personnel who are definitely better but it's not taking us forward yet it's a really interesting one you pointed out on, on, on parte and, and dribbling, right? Because I think we can get caught up on, on what we're doing with the ball in the offensive third, but but ultimately there's a there's an element of risk-taking all over the pitch that we don't have. And I think there's an element of just being a bit provocative all over the pitch that we probably don't see. Mm. Um, and whether that's on-ball running or off-ball running, like we don't see darting runs in behind. We don't see players just, you know, showing it, showing to feet and turning in and out. Um, you know, City under Pep with their eights were very good at one one midfielder would drop in, the other would go between the lines, and if the ball didn't come, then they'd shuttle the other way. Liverpool do it really well; they rotate their midfield. Um, Carl, I saw a video you shared quite recently of Atletico and how their wide players, or their their their, you know, essentially their four four two becomes a four two 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 where their wide players dart in field and pick up really aggressive attacking positions, essentially playing as two tens. So there's clearly different ways of doing this. Um, I, I guess my question to you, Carl, is how would you view Arsenal's system? How, could, how can we build in these provocative movements or, or players showing for the ball in, in creative ways that allows us to access those more dangerous areas without yeah, think- necessarily breaking what Arteta wants to do? Mm-hmm. I think what Elliot said was good about the uh, the spacing of our attack is suboptimal because one of the reasons why you create overloads like so many good teams do is so you can provide good angles, good options for the player on the ball, but also so that vacates the, the opposition vacate other areas of the pitch in which you want to attack. Our inability to actually occupy those central areas means that our attacks start when they hit the final third in the wide areas and they end in the final third. So we're not actually creating danger all across the final thirds of the pitch. So our inability to actually create danger in zone 14, which is basically right, right in the center, right ahead to the box, we don't occupy those areas. So the opposition don't have to focus and shift bodies away. And our overloads are overloading areas, which we're not actually hitting the other space. So when we start and we build to Albanyang, we create, we move players into those areas on the pitch but we don't actually shift it to the center. Or we don't switch the play. We don't move it. So we become ex- extremely stale and we just become very easy to defend against because the opposition know that we're not going to try to hit these other areas of the pitch. Yeah, I think the zone 14 one's interesting, right? Because as with, as with the box, right, you can be in the box, you can be in zone 14, or you can arrive there. And I think one of the things we don't do enough of, if we're not going to play with a number 10, and if, our number, and if our number nine, nine and a half, or whatever you want to call him, is not retaining the ball, you've got to get there, right? We, we're not going to pass into that zone. So the next question is, 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 again, like Oli said, can our midfielders dribble into that space? Can our wide players dribble into that space? Can Joe Willock make an off-the-ball run and then receive in that space? You don't have enough of those provocative movements, and maybe you're going to do that and not get the ball. You're opening up a wider lane. I think the other thing that... that you know, the more we talk about this surprises me a bit is if you have Aubameyang and if you have Willian and they're on opposite flanks, you want to build on the side that's more technically secure and you want to create space on the side where your goal threat is. Mm-hmm. What I find weird is we build down Aubameyang's flank more than the other side when we should be creating space for him to run in and get in behind fullbacks. 
that, he's, that, had the most, he's had the most crosses on our team this year, which is completely the opposite side of where he should be. It doesn't seem like a smart way to use someone who's good at getting on the end of things. Yeah. So again, I would I would come back to this design versus accident question. Like, are we planning to build through Aubameyang? Or do you think, you know, just, just by nature of the fact that Saka side, that's where we go? Or do you think that the team you have the star player and people just get him the ball because that's how you play. It just, it just feels weird, right? Like, and if you're going to do that, then, then there's even a, big, a bigger argument to use Pepe over William because you want a goal threat on the other side because you're ending up isolating a right winger on a fullback more often. So even within what we're doing, it just seems like there are so many suboptimal decisions being made. Well, I can give you one decision that's about to get a lot easier because apparently... Deep, 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 deep breaking news. William will have to return a negative COVID test before he can yep. train at Arsenal again after he traveled to Dubai. Mm. Arsenal are trying to establish full facts of the trip. International travel is restricted except in limited circumstances. doesn't appear he had any approval for this. So uh, maybe he just feels really bad that he's keeping Pepe out of the team and needed a way to force the, the manager's hand. So good I had a negative uh, team, team oriented break prior, but now I think I'm a fan of the international break. If this sort of <laughs> it keeps William out of the team, trying to be as kind as possible. William yeah. and El Nenny both <laughs> just taken out the side by COVID. Mm. I mean, if you need it, I mean, the international breaks, not the smartest thing to do anyway, but it's if you need great, is it <laughs> further evidence of footballer stupidity, the things they are getting up to in, in non-footballing contexts during the international break is, is even more stupid. Young rich people in not wanting to stay trapped in their house. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, even bigger issues for my fancy football team. If anyone knows of any travel agents that they could send uh, Lacazette's information, then uh, people. <laughs> yeah. I've heard he was spotted uh, in Madrid over the weekend. So mm. no. just, just leak that and then we're good. Perfect. Yeah. Maybe he was at uh, the wedding that, Mohamed Salah went to or whatever. Maybe Mo Salah is an Arsenal fan. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a tough one, right? I think I don't even know where we were, but I think that was interesting. Sorry, I, I threw us off with that late breaking news, but I think it's, it's all right. Look, it is tough, right? Because sometimes you want to turn football into like nuclear physics, and I I am definitely guilty of that because I you know unlike Carl who understands the data, I love getting into the data and don't understand it, so I can use it as dangerously and improperly as possible. And like, I can create all these concepts in my mind. And I look at Nagel's minute Red Bull and I'm like, oh, well, look at the way they attack central spaces and progressive, small progressive passes and in zone 14 and, and XG. And like, sometimes it's just about good players are good. Like Chelsea have a bad coach and bad philosophy and a lot of guys that can score goals and it's probably going to work out okay. Now we don't have the money to go do that. But like when you have William Lacazette and Aubameyang on the pitch, how many goals is William good for? Four goals in a league season? Five? How many is Lacazette going to be good for? Eight or nine? All right, so two-thirds of your front three are like not going to score goals. Who's, your number, who's going to create assists? What is going to be our biggest assist total from central midfield? One assist. Thomas Party might get one assist. Ceballos might get two. Shaka might get one. Like, there's no one to create chances, and there's no one to score goals except for Aubameyang. Like, so if you want to take the nuclear physics side of it out and stop like trying to draw little triangles all over your desk. And, like, and we're not pressing. And, and we're not, pre- yeah, right, which, which, as you know, if you've ever listened to me uh, beat one of the many dead horses I like to beat, like, pressing is a great way to create chances when you don't have natural chance creation in midfield. Like, okay, so 
We sit deep. We play out from the back. We don't have particularly technical players. We don't have chance creators and we don't have a lot of goal scorers on the pitch. So like, if you don't want to draw pretty triangles all over your desk and talk about zone 14 and get into the spreadsheet, like you could just point out that between the people who don't create chances in our team and the people who don't score goals in our team, we have a hell of a hard time, you know, doing the thing where you put the ball in the net. Like Cesc Fabregas, I remember a stat, like he had been in Spain for like two seasons and still led the Premier League in through balls over a five-year period because like he just broke that stat over a period of like five years. There's no one playing those passes for us. There's no key passes. And like, this isn't an Ozil thing, by the way, because I'm not a believer that Ozil would have been a savior, but like, Someone who drops in between the lines, who carries the ball and, and plays the, the pass on to the guy to score a goal. Like, you have to have that in your team. This is why the top – sorry, sorry, go ahead. We don't have risk takers in the proper no. area pitch. No. Like, I, I could care like, – I, uh, I think JB said earlier, I, I, I don't care if Pepe gives the ball away four out of five times in the final third. If he's actually actively making an effort to put the ball in good positions and create chances, it doesn't matter. If, yeah, yes, you know, Carl, like, center back is, if a center back is 50% pass completion, that's going to be an issue. But if you have four of four out of your eight dribbles are failed dribbles, I could care less. You're just yeah. you're actually trying to facilitate chance creation. If I have to watch Granite Shaka spin another ball out to a wing back, you know, like 40 yards from goal, I'm going to honestly poke my eyeballs out. Like it, those passes don't create, like there is a lot of looking like you're doing something without doing something at Arsenal. Players who get the ball, take four touches, spin it out to a wing back. And like, to your point, Carl, like the dangerous things, the little dagger ball between the lines, the little punch ball forward, the, you know, the attempted through ball, the things that David Luiz was doing against Leicester, like, because no one else would do them. Like there's not enough people that, that want to provoke danger, take chances, try to beat a man, try to put a ball in behind. How many times, you know, I'll, I'll give Pepe this. How many times have you seen Pepe leaning on the shoulder of a last defender, showing his feet, showing the run he wants to make, only to throw his hands up because the ball gets spun out to the wing back, right? Like, and nobody wants to play that ball. So, like, I, I have some sympathy for Arteta because even if the system was right, you'd have to convince me there's someone in the team that can play the hurtful ball or finish the move other than Aubameyang. And I, I'm, I'm not sure who that is. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Without, without even pointing out the Ozil thing, you've got two teams in the Premier League who, well, you've got Hamez and you've got Ziyech, who are both obviously very good players. Both of them, you might say, would struggle to get into a, a, a team that has the standards or principles or whatever you want to call it that Arteta is trying to enforce mm. at the club um I, I don't know I mean look I, I haven't watched Hammers that much in the last few years I know I didn't read too much into his Bayern numbers because everyone scores goals at Bayern and everyone does good things at Bayern but you know he, he's doing something at Everton that no one else has and he is doing things that other teams can't cope with and they are scoring you know they're winning games 5-3 and 4-3 and other goals more than 3-3 three to three. and that's kind of fine if you want to get into the top four if you have the ability to score four or five goals in a game, you're going to win a lot more games than you lose. So I don't know who that person in our team is, and, and maybe it is, maybe it does have to come from a system. But that system I don't think can we'll have... ever see a 10 like that under our t- I think it'll be something similar to, to Man City. It'll be two eights rather than a 10. Because That'd as be you fine. Say, most <laughs> That'd tens, be fine. Yeah, <laughs> mo- most 10s don't do it. But I mean, if you look at uh, the lad from Leon who we tried to sign. Uh, and may go back for he's not a 10 is some people speculate that he's a number 10 who'll come in change us to a 4-2-3-1 but he's not um and a lot of those type of midfielders we're being linked to they are more eights that I I cannot see him turning 
to a number 10. But that's fine, right? It's, it's getting players up the pitch close to each other who can combine and having the technical security to do it. And, like, you know, Jack Wilshere, Jack Wilshere probably wasn't a 10, right? Like, I, I don't think there was any point in his career when he stayed high up the pitch. He, he was good at dribbling past players deep and he was, had a decent pass on him. But, like, look at, look at the, the number of all those combination goals we scored. A lot of those were with wide playmakers and, play, and central midfielders making runs from deep. That's what you need. They don't have to be the best players in the world. They have, to, they have to play the right way and have that technical level about them. And I think we just need more of that. I think it's interesting you say we wouldn't play a true 10. You, you can still work those players in. They probably need the intensity and the athleticism that you don't, nece- you know, they, that you don't necessarily have. But Pete Ozil had it. Eight years ago, Meza Ozil at Real Madrid had a good engine on him. He was a fast player and he pressed well. He would probably play wide for Arteta. Um, mm. I just Bernardo, don't see why, why are we City. Yeah, why are we looking at Husamara if if that's what he wants? In because my head, he's not a player who will get you ten goals, ten assists. I well, here's a better question: Why did Why did Arteta want Willian so badly? Like what? Because th- I think that's a window. Willian created a lot of chances from wide spaces, positionally disciplined. I guess has a work rate. Like I'm not sure. I'm convinced. I see it anymore. I see him more as a player. It's totally dusted. But like. Why, why was that an important player for Arteta? Because I think if you can unlock that puzzle, you have a pretty good window into what Arteta wants in terms of the way he wants to build play and, and attack the opposition. And I, I can't really make heads or tails out of it. For me, it was two things that I don't know how much I'd get excited about either. I think it was probably a, we don't have a lot of money. Our budget's going on a centre-back and a central midfielder this summer. And we probably need an extra player in the final third. Owen Williams available on a free. Forget the wages because the number of centre-backs leaving in the next year or so, that means we can cover it. Part of me thinks that's a big, big part of it. Um, and I think yeah, part of it was... A lot of these issues that we have in terms of our squad building would actually not be an issue with us if our actual, if our team, our, our ownership structure and the, those in charge actually knew how to run a club. So I think a lot of the issues that we see on the pitcher directly mm. responsible for the upsides as we're all aware yeah, yeah I, I think that i think the signing when it happened didn't confuse me as much as, as as perhaps everyone else um how it's been how he's been used does mm. but i think when you go back to how he was signed premier league experience in wide areas we had a pepe who was struggling um i didn't want willan to come in and replace him every game at all but having someone who was delivering. He had a very good season last season. Um, we've, Aside from Pepe, we've got very young wingers. I hoped it would mean we'd see more of a Birmingham centrally. Um, created chances, as we've all discussed today. William was towards the top of the charts on that. He was free, as JB says, on a tight budget. And I think technical security in that final third, which, again, is not something which we're all saying we like, but I think... Arteta saw him as someone who could keep the ball in those areas. I think so, culture comes into it as well. I just got a feeling that they, you know, Arteta came in and looked around and Edu did the same. And they just, I, I think the guys in the game, especially the types of people we've, we've brought in, value the intangibles and culture and discipline and having the right mentality and all the things that we might not necessarily value. Um, Especially that really scares me, candidly. Like, that just really scares me because I think, like, 
I, look, a, a cancerous culture can be bad, but like old players at the wrong end of their playing career who are not particularly talented is worse. Like, it is the manager's job to build culture, but you have to build culture out of talented players. Like, if you want to get a bunch of workmen, like hardworking, really nice lads who will do what you tell them to, you can build a team like Burnley and stay up. But mm-hmm. like, if you want to compete at the top, there is no replacing elite talent. Yeah. And it's the manager's job to get that elite talent to row in the same direction. I'm sorry. That's how it works. Yeah, I agree with you. But I'm just, you know, my, my view on from the outside in on how they think. I mean, look at David Luiz. I, I, you get the sense from everything they say. They wouldn't care if David Luiz didn't play because he's a great guy to have around the training ground, uh, which is a view. It's not a view I share, um, but it's a view. And, and look at the Genduzi thing and look at the Ozil thing. I think there is a lot of noise from the club that says, this is how you behave. This is how you don't behave. And we're trying to change that. Now, I, I don't know, right? Because there's, there's so many big numbers flying around and, and you get the sense that there's not a lot of coherent planning and decision-making um, and they think everything's going to be fine because you can throw money at whatever problem and it will go away. And they keep trying to stick sticking plasters over things. And maybe it'll be fine in the summer when a billion pounds goes off our wage bill. But there are a lot of confusing decisions being made. There's, there are some really smart ones and clever ones. And Terrar and Genduzi look sensible and Gabrielle looks sensible. Um, something, Martinelli looks sensible, but, but for every sensible decision, we're, we're getting the the kind of, oh shit, this could really backfire decisions that, that offset them. So it's hard. Um, conscious, of, conscious of time here. And what I want to do is just go around and, and just get your views on how this, how this season unwinds, right? So two questions for each of you to finish. I guess question number one, do we see a material change of system before the season ends? Uh, and question number two, do you think anything might happen in January to, to help? Ollie, go first. Uh, yes to both I think you know again we all say Arteta is stubborn and he is stubborn sometimes uh, in periods and and for some principles but we have seen a few different formations and a few different types of player play in his in his year uh, at the club so far so I'm sure he will make tweaks to the system before close of the season I would hope he's gonna do it for the next game let alone the end of the season to be honest because (laughs) If it carried on to the end of the season, I think he could be in trouble. So, yeah, I think he'll tweak it and I think he'll be helped in January. I can't see the club, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I can't see them backing him so heavily with the party deal uh, with a player of that age and, you know, the finances involved and then not getting the other one, two pieces that he needs because party alone doesn't get us into the into the top four we see the midfield still lacking so much um it would be crazy to to not go that extra step and and invest again in january and i think you know it's a difficult window we're in a difficult time but arsenal's owner has a lot of money there's a lot of clubs who need money we saw leon they were desperate they were desperate to get that deal to sell mm. them to us in the summer so i'm sure there will be deals to be done and as you said before jb there's a lot of midfielders that can improve us yeah that will be available. I think that's the thing that annoys me is I just see twenty million pound players all over Europe that would materially improve. Look at squad. Villa. I mean, yeah, Ollie Watkins starts for us. You know, yeah. is it, we got we got Not all the guys. 
Probably. Mm. <laughs> we it got all the guys from. It doesn't have to be like this, though. It, but it doesn't like right. Like I mean, you can put together a so. My optimism comes from the fact that I think Arteta is a bright guy who understands football, who probably realizes now that change is necessary. And, and I think we will see it. I think the Leeds lineup will be fascinating because like, if it's the same lineup in the same system, then that kind of tells you that he just feels it's a matter of drilling it into them even harder. I don't think that's the case, but like Pepe can provoke chaos and Saka is an up and coming player who can beat a man off the dribble. And Aubameyang can score 25 goals from a central position. And like we can get another midfielder, even if it's a Joe Willick who is deeply flawed in central midfield, but can get into the box and, and create an extra problem for defenders to have to sort out. Like there are ways you can do this. And yes, we might start conceding more goals, but the coaches said we need 80, 90, a hundred goals to compete at the top. So he knows it. So my optimism comes from him knowing it and believing that he will make a change. Like, I think the squad is flawed. There's clearly no question it's flawed. But when you're playing Lacazette at seven forward instead of Aubameyang, and when you're playing Willian on the right instead of Pepe, and you're playing two in midfield, and one of them is Elneny, who, like, bless his heart, he works hard, but, like, he's never going to progress the ball effectively as an attacking player. Like, you are putting a leg and an arm behind your back and trying to attack that way. So I, I think we'll see more pressing. I think we'll see more of these chaos players, these improvisational players incorporated, and maybe there will be growing pains with that. You know, we, we may start conceding a few more goals than we're comfortable with and say he's given up on the structure. My optimism comes from thinking that those changes will ultimately bear fruit and that it'll be better. Um, but I, I think I have to agree that, like, there's more work that needs to be done in terms of the, the central midfield, the, the attacking midfield, the there's probably another striker that needs to be bought. And I don't know where the funds come from that. So I, yeah, I, I think we are another season away still from really having any right to mm-hmm. think top four is in, is in the frame. Yeah, it makes sense. It's good. We haven't spent loads of money on it having to be this season though. So that's good. Hey, just keep making short term plans that fail. And then, you know, having players you can't sell and then having no way to recover from that. Sounds, sounds like, like a plan. plan. Carl, I will give you 30 seconds. <laughs> are we going I- to see, significant changes to the system this summer this summer this season and do you think anything will happen in january yeah if it, if it was the summer it'd be too late i i think i think the international break came at a perfect time for us in terms of obviously you don't want to lose three nil to aston villa but i think given that time for arteta to reflect and sort of see what went wrong um and then i also think that in terms of the january signings i think he will be back to an extent not obviously not the same summer that we had this year but Arteta has enough clout with the trophies that he's won with us already that I think that his in his relationship with Edu obviously is good enough to the point that I think that we'll, mm. we might see one or two additions. Um, whether they are the smart additions, I think uh, is a completely different story and whether the ones we need long term. But um, I think that will I think that will happen. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's just shame that you don't think we're going to go and get Jack Grealish in January then, which is interesting because oh, I nice. think it's definitely <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> cool. Thank you all very much. It's been great. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground there. And hopefully if the club is smart enough, everyone in any position of power at Arsenal will be listening to this on repeat for tips on how to, how to fix this attack. Thank you for listening and, and putting up with us for the last hour or so. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. If not, please feel free to send us abuse on Twitter um, or, or in particular Ollie, uh, because he's running the, the Twitter account for the podcast. He, he hates it. I right will now. bite back. Um, so yeah, look, thank you very much to our guests. Thank you, Elliot, who you can follow on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Thanks. Thank you, Carlon, who you can follow on Twitter at... At C underscore Carpenter 14. Smart. 
probably just a Theo Walcott reference there with the full uh, team. Or Henri, either, either or, depending on your era. Definitely Walcott. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> thank you to Ollie at Ollie Price Bates, uh, who a lot of people think is oil price Bates, but it's not. Ollie, thank you very yeah. much. Had that for a long time. So, working yeah. like, why aren't you tweeting the oil prices? <laughs> I followed you exclusively you. for hot commodities insight. Never got any of it. So super <laughs> it's, a bar- it's a barrel of love. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you. I've got more in my pipeline. Anyway, thank you very much, <laughs> all of you. I've been JB uh, at Gunapana. Ollie and I will be back in the near future with another podcast on something else. Brilliantly insightful and fun. Uh, thank you for listening to the Fresh Arsenal pod. And we will see you soon. Network.